This is episode 29. And I must say a very unreal moment for me to be sitting in front of this very talented gentleman. Their 1997 album, Coil, was my gateway to their discography, and in particular, the song, Whatever I Fear, and it's still one of my all-time favorites to this day. They're hitting the road for their All You Want tour and making a stop in Charleston on Sunday, June 11th at the Charleston Music Hall. This is Glenn Phillips, and he is Toad the Wet Sprocket. Welcome, Glenn. I'm a third. (laughs) <laughs> well, we are missing Sweet Baby Todd and Sweet Baby Dean, so we are. We are We're doing the best a... we can. <laughs> well, thank you so much for chatting with me today about music and life in Charleston. I'm just so thankful that you were able to chat with me today. Yeah, happy to happy to be here. So I would love it if we could rewind a little bit and talk about your earliest memory of music. And how that's laid the groundwork for the most recent album and your work today, because I was listening to podcasts, previous interviews with you, mm-hmm. and you mentioned that you loved disco and metal as a as a child. Is that is that true? Yes, it, uh, disco first, and then I I think I fell prey to the disco sucks movement a little. There is that kind of racist homophobic thing that happened where all of a sudden you weren't supposed to like disco anymore. And so so I got into metal, um, which was a little sad. I've been re-enjoying. I've, I've been renewing my love for disco more recently. But uh, what are you <laughs> listening to? I mean, in terms of disco, random things. It's just I, I like chic. I mean, La Freak is. Mm truly awesome um and cool in the gang cool in the gang mm-hmm. is just like the absolutely amazing songs um mm-hmm. great playing great singing great arrangements yeah definitely really well done music yeah and oh you know what we have a surprise guest we have, we have dean. <laughs> here comes dean joining us as we are live recording so this is always a treat dean can you hear us He's so close to being here. <laughs> there he is. There he is. Sorry about that. My last one went over. That's okay. Uh, we are live recording, so I just want to make that note in case you want to yell any profanities. Oh, no. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. <laughs> How are you today, sir? Good. Uh, uh, this is uh, this is disco. The disco teepee, yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Yes, the disco teepee. Uh, Your sound that. is stranger than it was last time. Hold on. Anything huh. better? Yeah, way better. How's this? How's this? Good. Excellent. Better? Okay, good. There we go. All right. It's live on Zoom. We're still doing better than Elon Musk and Ron DeSantis. It's true. <laughs> So, Dean, while you were while you were joining us, Glenn and I were just talking about your earliest memories of music and how that is playing into your most recent album and how you're creating music to today. Right, earliest memories of music. Yeah. (sighs) Earliest memories. I think my mom says that my that her earliest memory of me and music is be- pushing me around in the grocery store and I was singing 
the Carpenter, uh, no, wait a minute. Was it, uh, I'll never fall in love again, which was, I believe, Anne Murray. Mm-hmm. Um, so that seemed weird for a toddler to be singing in a, in a shopping cart, uh, and a rather depressing way to start one's life thinking he would never se- fall in love again. Um, my first <laughs> musical memory, probably, uh, I, I taught myself how to play America the Beautiful on a, on an organ at a, at a, some friend's house. And that was how I started piano lessons. So that was probably my earliest musical memory. Nice. In terms of like, like records bought. Yeah. I mean, my, my, the, the, I was just thinking about this the other day. This KTEL record that I had, it was, uh, back in, it was pure gold. Um, and I still listen to many of the artists from, from that today. But that was how my introduction to EL, Electric Light Orchestra, the Doobie Brothers, mm-hmm. Hall and Oates. I mean, some amazing stuff. You, you can't, uh, can't fault KTEL. Wow. That's for sure. <laughs> you can try, but you can't. No. I, I think my first two records were Muppet Movie Soundtrack and Saturday Night Fever. So, and, and I still play, I, I've been playing, uh, I'm going to go back there someday, Gonzo's song from, from the Muppet movie. I still play that at shows. So. Wow. These things last. Yeah. I remember, I remember going, telling my next door neighbor that I was going to go, who was a year older than me, that I was going to go to the store and buy the soundtrack from the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band movie. Mm, and he said, let me, he said, let me stop you right there. <laughs> you, I'm going to go with you and we're going to get the Beatles version. So that was a big step mm-hmm. uh, in the right direction too. No Steve Martin on that one though. No, no, no. But King Tut, that was a, a very early and uh, very impressionable track for me. Mm-hmm. Well, and how do you think since both of you, this is quite a bit of range, like a range of genres of sorts and what yeah. you're listening to. How is that still, is that still influencing you today or, um, is it still remnants and what I, you listen to and what you're creating or? I'm sure some of it's subtle, some of it's not. I mean, mm-hmm. my parents, you know, grew up, I, I like Damn Yankees was like the record I remember being played the most. Damn Yankees, you know, lots of musicals and Brandenburg concertos all the time, the Brandenburgs. Um, and then my brother was the one who bought me, you know, got me into the Beatles. And uh, so, I mean, all of that gives you something. I mean, whether it's, I, I think, you know, Muppet Movie, uh, Paul Williams' melodies are just insanely good. And, um, I mean, Beatles have a a harmonic richness that, I mean, when people talk about how great the Beatles are, the the melodies and then the use of, like, some really advanced harmony that doesn't sound advanced, you just kind of get it in your blood and take it for granted. But I remember when I was doing music theory class, uh, our, our, our theory teacher would always give us like an example from Bach, an example from jazz, and then a Beatles example. And like, they were really sophisticated. Um, and that stuff just like gets in your skin and, you know, uh, and I think, you know, as well from musicals, wanting things that were emotionally resonant wanting things that had a bit of a drama to them and told something of a story. I think that got in from there. Uh, I don't think I got much lyrically from disco, but 
it's some of the best arranged music that's ever been made. Um, so I mean, sure. it all it all gets in the blender. Uh, when I met Todd and Dean, uh, you know, that's when bands like Husker Du, The Replacements, like the kind of post-punk, you know, REM, uh, Elvis Costello, Dinosaur Jr. Those were the bands that uh, really kind of made me start listening to music differently as, as you know, a, a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and that all still lasts. I think we all have had a lot of musical diversity in our lives, and it's still hard to pin down. I don't know, my favorite album of this year so far is, you know, Tenaro when uh, they have a brand new album that Daniel Lenoir produced. And, oh, wow. Um, okay. They're, they're amazing. And I, I, I don't like to listen to the stuff that sounds like the stuff I make, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so. And will you say the name of the album again? Because I feel like I need to take some notes and I need to go listen to this album. Oh, Tenaroin? Okay. Tenaro and they're a Tareg band. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of their their pictures, like I think they've been around for like forty years or something. And if you see their their press pictures, they're often like posing on a sand dune with a camel and their guitar slung over their back. And it's uh, it's great. I, I can't understand a word of what they say, but it is some of the most groovy music. It just it's transporting. Mm-hmm. I've loved them for a long time. They did some albums with Michael Brook, but uh, the new one with Daniel Lenoir is just really stunning. So that's my favorite favorite oh, album of the week. To that. Yeah. Well, Dean, do you have a favorite yeah. album from this year so far? Oh, gosh. You know, um, I'm really enjoying the new M83 record. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And um, and then there's this new band that I uh, I just happened upon them. They're called Bleach Lab. That's uh, I, they don't have even have an album yet, but they somebody compiled all their songs onto a playlist, and I've been listening to it. But um, yeah, I mean, there's so much great music being made right now, and mm-hmm. and and it's there's you know it's just an it's it's easy. I don't find it to be hard to find things that I like, but my tastes are pretty broad. Yeah. yeah. It, well, how many songs are being released a day now? On like 120,000 a day. A day. It's insane. Yeah. That's insane. That's yeah. As far as crazy. other new new records, Madison Cunningham Revealer. Just yeah. Like, man, what a record! She just knocked mm. it out of the park. Um, yeah, and the new uh, Milk Carton Kids is phenomenal. Yeah. So beautiful. The melodies on it. They really took it back from the last album where they were doing the, the, the really big production and this is super stripped down and God, the melodies and the harmonies on it are just earth shatteringly good. You know, mm. so very happy with that. Have you heard this guy, uh, this guy, Charlie Crockett? <gasps> yes. How do you feel? About oh my God. That is so good. The man from <laughs> Waco. That is a great record. Yeah. Um, what else? Gosh, uh, this band that we have opening for us, they're called Mini Trees. They, they have a, an album called Always in Motion that's really good. Um, I mean, I like the new record by The National, first two pages of Frankenstein. Um, there's just so much, mm-hmm. really. I like the Boy Genius record, but, you know, I like, I just like it. 
Yeah. You know, music is good. I lean toward a lot of female voice stuff. Um, and, but you know, I like it all though. Well, so you mentioned the opener for your tour. So the name was many trees. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure how they're not, they're on t- some of the shows. Which where are we today with you? Um, so uh, we're talking about the Charleston tour. So we're going to talk about the Charleston. Charleston. Yeah, they, yeah, they're they're. I don't think they're on that I one. I think that's Marcy um, Playground. I think that's so. Marcy Playground. But you know, yeah. Well, from we way back. Yeah, we toured with them back in the day, so it's going to be really yeah. great to see them again. But we got Mini Trees out for a few shows, and I think Megan Slankard from San Francisco is going to be out for a few shows. Mm-hmm. Um, any others, Dean? Uh, I think it? I think that's it. Um, yeah, that's that, but that's pretty good. That's what we've got so far. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. quite, that's quite the lineup, and I mean, you all have made quite a few stops in Charleston over the years, and. Is there, every time you come to Charleston, is there one thing that makes you excited to be back in Charleston? Or do you have a specific place that you like to go to or a meal that you like to have whenever you're in Charleston? If you do get any time, which that may not happen on tour, but if you do get the opportunity to get out, where do you like to go? or um, what? I'm going to give a shout out to a place called Callie's Hot Little Biscuit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. We're at Charleston Music Hall, and so I will I will get off the bus, and I will turn right, and I will walk to the corner, and then I will cross the street and go about halfway down the block to Callie's Hot Little Biscuit, and that will be how – and that and coffee will be how I start my day. There you go. And you can't beat it. It's excellent. It is excellent. <laughs> That's an every time I'm in Charleston thing now. <laughs> nice. Well, and since you are, you do come to Charleston quite frequently, like, is there one thing that you love about the Charleston crowd or, and I I believe you have played at the music hall before. So is Mm -hmm. there just one thing that you love about playing for the Charleston crowd? It's, you know, Charleston and Hootie go together so nicely. And, you know, we've been friends with those guys and toured with them um, over the years so much that we always know it's like, we're going to be seeing fan, like those guys are like family for us. Mm-hmm. So Charleston has become kind of a family day stop because we know we're going to see, you know, yeah. we're, going to, we're going to see Mark and Sony and we're going to see our friends. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. because they came out of this area of your area there in Charleston and, and that community, you know, it, it feels, it feels homey to us too. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, is there ever a chance that we could get Mark Bryan or Darius just to pop on stage with y'all? Is that ever out of the question? Always. It's never I mean, out it, of it, the question. It, that, I, that Mark happened. sat in last time, right? Did he? He Mark sat in the last. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 if they're there, it tends to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's not going to let yeah. it happen without. He brings a mandolin and he he mm-hmm. comes up because I haven't been playing yeah, yeah, yeah. it anymore on on Walk on the Ocean. So we do get the mandolin. Yeah, but it tends to happen. Well, we'll have to see. Everyone will have to get tickets <laughs> yeah. and come to the show and see I, what will happen. I, I, you never know. That's really the only yeah. way to find out. My exactly. thing in, in there is also just trying not to eat too much. I, I, you know, live in Santa Barbara, and it's a lot of, you know, I eat a lot of salads and brown rice and and 
So mm. I, I get into the South and I have to taste all the things and mm-hmm. they tend to be a little heavier. <laughs> and so, uh, but, you know, trying, hot little biscuits. Uh, trying to exercise restraint is always an issue. Um, more, not, not for the sake of the food, like being too heavy, but just for then singing afterwards. Uh, that would be quite the challenge. Early in the day is better, but it's man, it's such a so great early. town to walk around. And mm-hmm. I know last time we were in that area, we got to kind of head out, uh, you know, go by the water if there's time. I mean, it's it's just so beautiful out there. Mm-hmm. So for this tour, this is um, well, actually, I want to talk about the new album first before I jump to the tour. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we're going to talk about starting now, but you all dropped an album today as well. So mm-hmm. you had the both right. this album drop today. Uh, the All You Want, with this release track that also came out today, The Best of Me, with the backing vocals of Michael McDonald. Without the backing vocals of Michael McDonald. Without the backing vocals. Okay, thank you. I was well, like, The version on the album had Michael McDonald. This version is that's the, right. more like the version you'll hear on the road. And this was actually per some of the fans' requests to have this more tour live sounding version or not really live but wanted to hear both versions Mm -hmm. uh and it was it was the new track we had sitting around that we could easily put on this so um i mean this is like the good like the good thing yeah this we did a bunch of re-recorded uh greatest hits how many years ago was it that we did this that was in 2012 wow so more than 10 years ago we recorded these so we put it out kind of before the streaming services were around and since then, we put out a couple of records, put out an EP, and wanted to kind of update it with the, you know, the stuff we've been doing in this century. Mm-hmm. And uh, also, yeah, just give it a little bit of a refresh. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a sweet little piece to have around. And, um, you know, having the different version of Best of Me is great, too. So, yeah. Yeah, well, and it's also, you all go on tour starting on May 31st, and today is the 26th, so, you know, Mm -hmm. I was getting everyone excited for the tour and for this new, not new, but newer song for everyone to be hearing, so it's exciting. And so, for the album, the 2021 album, Starting Now, in some of my research, it was my understanding that, Glenn, this was originally going to be a solo project or maybe it was kind of a solo project that then was really more of a toe the wet sprocket album i started recording some of the songs uh for a solo record and you know was was just kind of early in that project and just felt the songs would be better represented by toad and there was kind of time to to bring that in that we were due for we were due for a record and Mm -hmm. i wanted people to hear the songs uh and so uh we got it together pulled a bunch more together and uh started recording just before lockdown and so um the majority of the arrangement and the work on this was done you know with each of us at home kind of sending tracks in working things out taking comments and going back and forth so um and you know we had a lot of time because we were in lockdown so um uh so it, yeah, it's it. So what wasn't necessarily started as a solo album. There were a couple string arrangements I had mm-hmm. done that we moved over. Like for the song Fever, I'd done a version, and we were able to take the strings that I'd 
had arranged um, by Eric Gorfian and, and move those in. So elements like that, but for the most part, um, it was all, all fresh and all toad. Oh, wonderful. And, and so, because you all have been together for quite a few years and you have taken some breaks and gotten back together and what is it that just keeps y'all coming back together? Like, how is it, is it just that you're out on your own and you're writing and then you're thinking to yourself, I really want to run this by Dean or Dean, you're thinking of some songs and you're like, I really want to get together with Glenn. How, what keeps bringing y'all back together throughout these years? I mean, I love the, for me, the, go ahead. Oh, the, the variety of it. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we have an instant sound. If we get together and play, it's going to sound like us. And we have these relationships that are, you know, 35 years old. Um, there's a shorthand, which sometimes is difficult and sometimes is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the way we grew up musically together, the way we sing together, the way we know how to interact is something that doesn't happen anywhere else in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also like playing with new people and being surprised and doing things that are more improvisational and, or, you know, so I, I think having the balance for me is allows me to go. I, you know, I can do a toad tour and be ready to, to go do some music, solo acoustic or in a duo or do, I like variety. Um, and I go and work with other people and it gets me ready to come back and do Toad. So um, for me, it's like that that to me is a, a complete and balanced creative meal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get to take what I learn with other people back to Toad and what I learn from Toad back to other people. So, um, yeah. Dean? Me? Yeah. You know, I, <laughs> I like I like the idea, uh, you know, it's, of putting on a show. That's just, I, I always have. Um, and so when approaching new music, I always look, I always think of terms of it in terms of what it's going, where it's going to be in the show or what it's going to add to, to the live experience and, and, and how it can be, how it can be useful to take things in a, in a, in a direction that I, that I want to take the show into. And, um, and I like that. I, I like thinking in those terms. Um, I love working with these guys because the, of the way everyone's sort of space is defined and space is left. Um, there's a lot of, of, uh, you know, I, I also play with a, in a lot of different situations and with different people, but I don't play the same way as I do in this band because I'm not left the same amount of space. Um, in those projects that I am with this, this is a unique thing, um, where I am given these, you know, these great melodies and I get to do two things. I can sing on it and I can play bass and in, in the studio, I can do, I can do keyboards too. Um, so it's just, it's all, it's all a pleasure for me. Um, I, it's, it's not a struggle. For me to figure out what what my what my place is on it, it's very natural, and I think things get written with the spaces left for the people to do what they do, and that's unique to this uh, project. And everyone rises to the occasion and and con- continues to. Um, so uh, you know, uh, I 
I I love I, I love the making of the records and the and the putting on of the show and all of that the uh, the presentational aspects of it um, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Is there one album in particular that you would say might and I know this is probably hard to answer might be your favorite just in terms of the creative process with each other? For me, Dulcinea. I think is probably our our best album. We were kind of in good fighting shape after all the touring for the Fear album. We were feeling pretty unified. I think we were working well together as a unit, probably more than at yeah. any time. And uh, and that we made a record that was really oriented to sound like we sounded live. So. Um, I mean, all those elements kind of came together. It's a, it's a big sounding record. And I think just grown up enough, there's stuff like, there's less lyrics that I would undo on that album than on most of the other early stuff, just because, you know, it was what, 2024 20, by that time? Mm-hmm. So uh had grown up a little bit. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, that, that to me is probably like our best record. And I would say after that, I, uh, I would say new constellation uh, mm. just because we'd taken this long break and we, I, I think we did something that was ambitious and successful in terms of trying to take what we did well together and evolve it and move forward, make a record that sounded like us, but sounded like us in the present tense mm. and to overcome, uh, you know, some of the the personal barriers that we had at that time and work together and really collaborate well, I think was a, I'm really proud that we made that happen. And you mentioned that there were some lyrics that maybe on the Dulcinea album that you would go back and is it a, like you'd want to rewrite or just tweak or, cause I know in creating art, Mm -hmm. you always want to go back and edit and edit. And is it a situation such as that, or is it a, situation of you would like to rewrite oh no Dulcinea I feel like mostly the lyrics I like okay like there's probably a few things whereas fear I would rewrite most of and and certainly uh pale and like it's just it's uh, you know looking at it objective I can't look at it objectively Mm -hmm. Uh, uh you know there's just things where I'm like huh should I have written about that like you know or or, I, I don't know it's um, but Dulcinea, I feel like we were competent. We knew what we were doing. We wanted to make a good piece of art and we made, made the album we wanted to make. Like we really set out on that one with, um, you know, we set out with a lot of intent and I think we achieved what we wanted to, wanted to hit. Mm-hmm. And so for you, Dean, was there also a particular yeah. album that you enjoyed the process on or are you aligned? No. Also- I mean, I th- I think that really is the one because, um, you know, we making the fear record, we had no idea whether anybody would hear it or not. So there was still that that uncertainty. Um, and, you know, we were uh, I mean, 
we were we were tr- we were in a big studio for the first time. We were able to do um, a lot of things that uh, we hadn't been able to do before. Fear was the first time where we got like string arrangements done, and I discovered the Hammond organ on the Fear record. I had never played organ before, and I continued to play that on all the albums from that point forward. So, I mean, Fear was a breakthrough um, for me, but Dulcinea was the one that you get to do. Dulcinea was kind of the one you get to do afterwards. Like, wow, we did Fear, and it connected with people, and now we can go and do this knowing it's going to be received. And we took the care to figure out what we wanted it to be before we got there. And then we went away to a great place up in Marin, Mm-hmm. Um, uh, to record it where we lived for a couple of months. And like Glenn said, everyone was together. Um, we were all working, you know, at our, at our best levels. And at the same time, we were really going for atmosphere. I remember our producer got a bunch of these, uh, vo- uh, candles, uh, 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 and we, he set up hundreds of them in the control room and we would track the, the moodier songs mm-hmm. um, on the record. He would light all the candles and we had this whole setup where we could play live and we would do tracks in this big room together um, with the candles going um, to get vibe. Vibe can, is so important. We, we felt like Granny's house where we made fear. It was not a vibey place. It was definitely it was very not a vibe-y bright. Place. It was very bright. It was very it like gold. a bed and breakfast. It, it had did. A, oh, yeah. it, weird. Yeah. Like I remember the dinner of, chairs yeah. there. They were like these aluminum folding chairs, but they had like really poofy cushions tied to them, like to cover them. Yeah, up. it was a strange place. That but the picture. But, but there's the studio where we made Dulcinea. It was all vibe. It was beautiful. It was out. It was everything we liked. It was it was out in the mm-hmm. trees, in the forest, mm-hmm. on the edge of a cliff where you could see hawks flying by at eye level in the daytime. I thought um, they were hawks, you know, and then I found out later what, in the process that they were vultures. Okay, so <laughs> vultures. Even better. But Very yeah, ominous, I mean, we, Very we, we yeah. you know, on, on Dulcinea, we, we rejected the lack of vibe from from fear even though fear turned out well and we did we had a lot of breakthroughs on that record be getting control of the vibe and the atmosphere and then having that show up on the recording was um that was very satisfying to know that we could do that and our whole time there was it was just a very very pleasant and and it was it was we had the same producer that we had used on Fear Gavin and so our whole little gang we were all back together again and it was it was fun and 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 we were you know we had we were in this wonderful place that we had given ourselves the opportunity to make something great. We had done the work ahead of time. We had all of these songs really dialed in. We had worked for a couple of months in pre-production so that we could get up there and track these things live. And it really, it just, everything worked. I don't remember anything really getting, getting hung up. It was a great experience and that's reflected on the record. Yeah. Well, and so Let's talk about starting now because that is one of the more recent albums from 2021. And you mentioned that that was recorded separately because of the pandemic. Was there yes. a point when you, when you all were able to get together in a collaborative space to work on that? Not until it was done. <laughs> <laughs> Not until it was done. <laughs> 
It was really weird. Although I understand a lot of people made records that way. It's like, you know, you when faced with the idea of, of possibly not being able to do this, you just have to find a way. Um, and you, and you know, you do the best you can. Um, that's probably more of a, we did the best we could under the circumstances record. And I'm happy with it, uh, based on that. I'm happy that it, that it exists. It sounds good. And we, and we did it with, uh, with, with, without too much conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, totally different things. I would always take the vibe, the vibey thing yes. first. That's, that's always. what I really want for the next album is, always is to bring the vibe thing. back. Cause there was a lot of, with, with new constellation, there was, just a, a tenderness, I think, like, like meaning, a, like, uh, everybody was being really careful because it had been so long since we recorded. We were trying to keep, you know, we were trying to let the water go under the bridge, but it would splash mm-hmm. up. Uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and I think we've been in such a, um, such a better state in the last few years. Um, and to be able to make another record and do that. And instead of kind of, you know, breaking into separate camps to take that time to work out the songs before, to take out the time to, you know, play together and be together and make the record together. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that process. Cause it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, once again, like I'm very proud of us for what we managed to do both musically and personally on, on new constellation, but you know, the, yeah, I, I don't want to have to just be sending each other files from distant mm-hmm. places anymore. It's not why I'm in a band. That that is not a vibe. No, so. <laughs> yeah. no, that's 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 a vibe killer. So, so we'll 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 bring the vibe back. But you know, live and learn. Well, and yeah. you did, like you said, you it was a necessity. Yeah, we did the best we could, and it turned out pretty dang good. So. I have to ask, so my personal favorite um, album is Coil, and mm-hmm. I feel like neither one of you have mentioned that album, and so I'm concerned that maybe I picked the wrong favorite album. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not at all. I, I'm okay. really proud of Coil. I okay. mean, for me, listening, that would probably be my number three. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like we did a great job. We were ambitious. We were – that one was a little bit colored, I think, by – um, the fact that, I mean, we had taken our first two records were done before we signed up with Columbia. We licensed them. They were completed, uh, with fear and Dulcinea, we had total creative control. Um, and we really loved going in and the A&R people we were working with were, you know, I remember Chuck Plotkin coming in for Dulcinea and, you know, just listening to the final mixes, he's like, wow, it's a wild stew. Like you could take people on so many different emotional journeys with these songs. So you really got to think about the emotion, you know, what's the journey you're going to make these songs create for people. Mm-hmm. He was like that. He, he said his job was to protect us from the radio people, right? Like, so we, we had this real creative embrace and on, on coil, um, we took a larger advance, which mm-hmm. meant that, there were some expectations and it was the first one where, you know, you're playing stuff for the record company and they're just going, Hmm, or could be a single mm-hmm. like it. And it just felt we kind of got ourselves in a position where we didn't realize how much we needed to play ball. Um, 
by changing the equation of how we worked with the record company. Um, and so there was some contentiousness with the company there. Like there were parts about that record that were really difficult and I internally with the band as well. At that point, we were probably starting to come apart a little more in certain ways, but also working with Gavin, we had that rapport with him. We were in great shape as a band together. Um, it's a great group of songs. So mm -hmm. I think we were very, um, it's in a lot of ways. I mean, it's, it's a great album in a lot of ways, but it also, um, yeah, it's yeah. hard to describe. There's some difficulties in there. Well, and I was listening to a podcast that you were actually on Dean talking about oh, yeah. the recording of Pale. Um, and that just mm -hmm. reminded me, we were talking about taking the advances from record labels, how yeah. there was that little bit of, um, I don't want to say, uh, not fear, but you, that kind of, um, hesitation to take that advance, but you did take a little advance, but for Pale, you recorded it and pressed it and just yeah. gave it to the label. And it was like, here you go. It's packaged. And there really wasn't a discussion. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The idea was to we uh, we when we started getting interest from labels, it um our managers said, well, you know, you don't these things always end up taking way longer than you think they're going to. Um. So what should you do with your time? How about you know you've got all you've got an, another fifteen songs. Why not go in and make another album? Um, in while you're, you know, taking meetings here and there or people are, you know, doing what, doing the business stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, so we took advantage of that time and we went in, but it was our manager, Brad's idea. You want people, he said, you want people to see this thing as something that can't be changed. Um, mm -hmm. and that you guys are, are, are together as a unit and you're solid and you know what you do. And you deliver the finished product. You want it to be a finished product because there were people out there. We honestly, there were some labels that we met with that wanted to take the best songs from Bread and Circus mm -hmm. and the bread, the best songs from Pale and put them all together and, and make one super, maybe re-record them all with a new producer and make one super debut album. And in essence, put all those eggs in one basket. But, um, we wanted to do a, a slow growth, uh, thing and build a live following. And mm -hmm. Columbia was always on board with that. But one of the ways that we communicated the fact that, that this was a finished work was by pressing it on, getting it mastered, paid mm -hmm. to get it mastered, pressed on vinyl, no artwork, I don't think. Um, but then we did some um, little printout. Did we, hand we did some ones. kind of yeah. little hand painted ones, but it was like the idea to be able to go into an A&R person's office and go, you know, you want the new album? Here it is. And drop it an LP on their desk. It communicated something different than giving them a, a cassette or a DAT with mixes, a finality, if you will. And what was the initial reaction? Just, shock or just okay you know i gotta say that we made a good decision when we went with columbia because they were the ones who said of course of course we should release yeah. the first one and then six months later we'll release the second one they never I, saw it any other way i think if we had gone in and spent like a um 
you know, we thought of ourselves as an indie band and the uh -huh. bands that we loved were indie bands. And so um, we just had this attitude that when we were going to go in, um, we wouldn't step back. Right. Uh -huh. We made these songs. We'd done these recordings. We were looking forward to doing a major label debut. But, uh, you know, the, the, we also knew we were young and we needed some experience. Um, and so I, I think if we'd gone in and tried to make that, you know, fancy debut where we did the mm -hmm. super record out of the, I don't even know if it ever would have come out. Like, no, I don't know either. By that time, we would have been sent back and we would have needed a single and we would have needed to, you know, it, it would have been a major label record in that normal way. And as it was, we got to go out in a van and learn how to play, learn how to write. Um, we grew so much in the process of those records. And it was the cheapest investment they could have made in us. And when we made Pale, once again, I mean, I'm sorry, when we made Fear, for Fear and Dulcinea, our advances were only the amount it took to record the record. Mm -hmm. There was nothing for living. There was nothing for anything else. It was only the amount for the record. And so our idea was we, you know, we were going to be cheap for the rec record company, which would allow us to grow. And it was nine months into the Fear album before All I Want hit the, you know, hit the radio. That would have never happened if we had, you know, taken more money. They would have washed their hands of the bet earlier. And mm -hmm. as it was, they could afford to let us keep touring and go out because we were making it work on our own. So, and I got to say as well, Columbia, the locals, I mean, there were, you know, people like Ron Oberman and, and Chuck Pluck and, and, and Tom Gibson who like really fought for us throughout. But Columbia at that time, um, you know, there were college reps, radio reps and retail reps in every single town. And so we would go do at least one in-store, at least one radio station, sometimes three to four stations a day. Like they ran us ragged and the, the, that, that, network they had out on the road uh, was I've never seen anything like it and even at that time when we would tour with other bands you know our reps would show up and we'd go to work <laughs> and they'd be like what the you know how do yeah. you do? like um, and they really made it happen um, but it was a lot of sweat equity from a lot of people to kind of push it over but they did they were also doing it because they loved the they loved the music um, they worked a lot of music that they didn't feel a connection to. And um, maybe it was from spending time with us out on the road. Maybe it was the music itself. Um, a lot of people say they knew it the first time they heard it. Um, but for, for whatever reason, <laughs> for whatever reason, um, we had, we made a really good connection with a lot of good people who worked very, very hard and we couldn't have done it without. I do always feel it's the funny thing with, with All I Want, because I know uh, they were about, we'd had two or three singles out, and they were ready to, you know, brick up the record and move on and have us do another one. Um, and, uh, you know, All I Want was nine months into the record, uh, you know, when that came out. And that's why I always find it funny, all the people who are like, ah, oh, I knew that was, I knew it from the very beginning. Yeah. It's like, well, why wasn't that the first single, brother? <laughs> um, well, I think to your point, though, about the connection, too, um, and as I was doing my research, you all have a fan base that is so loyal and so dedicated 
and so enthusiastic about just y'all and the music and I mean, obviously that's a wonderful thing to have as a band, especially a band that's, you know, spanned over a few years, but how, how do you maintain that connection or how do you continue that connection with your fans? I think a, a that big... was some... Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you yeah. Oh. How do you okay, I was going to say, back, back, you know, this is one thing that our manager did very early on is that we had a, we had a, a, a we had a mailing list. And people, we had these cards that people could fill out and send them in. Back when it was mail. Back when it was actual mail. (laughs) And then, because we never, we we never thought we'd get played on the radio. Um, We people would get uh, a postcard with our tour dates for wherever we were going to be around them locally, and it was a way to keep in touch. We did all kinds of cool things. Um, We sent out a demo version of Walk on the Ocean before it ever appeared on the Fear record. We sent out a cassette with that on it around Christmas time. And the the really smart thing that our manager did was he got Columbia Records to pay for this. He got them to pay for a certain number of mailings every year. And we built this mailing list up to the point where it had 70,000 names on it. Um, I, I, I recently was, was going through a box and I found the original Toad mailing list card that Darius Rucker filled out with his mom's address on it, um, from back in the day, That's literally. Great. Um, they used to come uh, see us at the music farm. Adam Duritz, Adam Duritz was on our mailing list before Counting Crows was even a thing. Um, and we kept in touch with these people and they felt like they were part of a community and they, they started to see each other at the shows and make friends with each other. And as, uh, the, there was this kind of toad listserv that started in the early days of the internet and people started trading live show recordings and it just mm-hmm. sort of, it, it became a thing and we always encouraged it. But a lot of the, a lot, I mean, a lot of that sort of loyalty was born in those early days and people mm-hmm. never, never forgot it. Yeah. Oh, wow. I mean, that's phenomenal, too. Like, just, I mean, to get, first of all, I love snail mail, even to this day, you know, in 2023. And to receive, you know, like a pre-recording or like a teaser single, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's stuff that, you know, that's priceless to have from your family. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's true. It's it's done well by us. Mm-hmm. And I think continuing that as well. We were always, I mean, stopped a few years ago. But, uh, you know, we also would stay out behind the club till the last person was gone pretty much every night unless we had to jump in the bus and go. Um, we made ourselves really available to people. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, because we weren't the cool kids. We weren't getting, you know, the reviews and the big, you know, it's like, and so it was, it was a lot of just being present. Um, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Um, it, it pays off in the end. Definitely. Well, unfortunately, this is my last question of this interview. Um, what is your hope for the future for Toe the Wet Sprocket? What, what do you envision? Do you have five-year plan, 10-year plan from now? We got to talk about that at some point. Uh, I mean, for the time being, I think uh, getting through this tour in one piece, there's a lot of dates without a lot of, uh, without a lot of rest. Um, But we're excited to be out here doing that. We've been talking about doing an acoustic record. Um, 
starting to work on songs for a new studio record. Um, and I think excited to kind of take the energy we've been developing over the last few years. I mean, with, you know, um, you know, since, uh, there, there's just, there's been some basic changes, I think, in our availability to each other and our availability to the band and our optimism, mm -hmm. um, that feel significant and, uh, to come out of, you know, the COVID era and be able to, you know, get together and make some great music together. I think we're all just really excited about seeing what's next, seeing what mm -hmm. we can do. Mm -hmm. Dean? Being able to play these songs um, every night for me is its own reward. Mm -hmm. I could play these songs forever. Um, it's a wonderful, wonderful catalog. And I'm really glad that I don't have to go out and play songs I don't like. I can't imagine what, what that would be like. It's really sort it's, it's just so pleasing to have made this thing and, and, and be able to take this version of it out there on the road and, and put it up mm -hmm. on a, on a stage and have people show up and, and have it, you know, have it sound really good. I mean, we, we, we had our, our, our run in the nineties and then we had our breakup period and then we had to piece the band back together kind of from, from the ground up again. And, and it's really in a place now where it feels the best that it has um, probably, you know, since around, you know, a long time. And mm -hmm. it, it feels like we can go out there, you know, confidently and, and, and know that, this, that it's going to sound good, that we're going to play well, that we're, we're going to sing well. And that's a, that's a, what a wonderful, a wonderful thing. And then you can really sort of let go of wondering if you're going to have a good show or not and just enjoy where you are and enjoy the people. And, and there's, there's the struggle, you know, that doesn't have to be a part of it. You can really enjoy it. And, and we get to see a lot of people that uh, it's, it's great uh, to be able to go around and, and see our friends and share this music with people. It's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to do. And I look forward to it every year. Hmm. Well, thank you gentlemen so much for taking yeah. the time to chat with me today. Um, is there anything, I know we have just a few minutes left, but anything that I may have missed, anything that you, parting words for anyone, for the people listening? I feel good. We're happy to see everybody out there. Yeah. We're looking forward, looking forward to being there. I'm excited to start rehearsing in a couple of days. And yeah, um, it's going to be great to be back out again. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, gentlemen. I really appreciate thank it. Thank you. All right, take care.